0: I was angry. I was. I still, to this day, don't know the reasons for the decisions. I don't know that any other club had demonstrated their commitment and interest in making sure women were part of the game. I couldn't quite believe it, frankly. That's Peggy
1: O'Neill, president of the Richmond Football Club, Order of Australia recipient in 2019 for services to the law and the advancement of women leaders. She heads a club in the Australian Football League, which is a billion-dollar powerhouse these days. The competition dates back to the late 19th century, and in that time there's been one woman club president. In 2020, Peggy O'Neill, still one of a kind. And her football club? Same goes. There were 101,433 paid-up Tiger members in 2019. No sports club in Australia could boast more. Okay, so let's rewind What did Peggy O'Neill say again?
0: I was angry. I was. Only because I thought it was unjustified. I couldn't quite believe it, frankly.
1: Now, something that should be noted at this point is that Peggy, American-born and also a lawyer specialising in finance and superannuation, is a seriously level character. She speaks in an even tone, at an even tempo, with even language. Even could be Peggy O'Neill's middle name. She appears unflappable. But in this interview? Well, let's just say this isn't typical Peggy language, which is interesting.
0: I was angry. I was. Only because I thought it was unjustified.
1: What Peggy's addressing here is how she felt about an event that happened four years ago, June 2016, and the Richmond Football Club's failed bid to join a new AFL women's competition from day dot. That comp is called the AFL Women's League, AFLW for short, and its creation was a mega moment, not just in the context of Australian rules footy, but in the wider context of Australian sport and culture, equity, diversity, inclusion, all those things. The establishment of AFLW is a game changer in every sense. Before AFLW, women and girls couldn't play or even aspire to play in an elite AFL-backed competition. An elite AFL-backed competition for more than half of Australia's population simply didn't exist. After the AFL came to recognise a great opportunity and slowly grasp the inequity of this, AFLW was born. The match that launched AFLW was played in Melbourne on February 4, 2017, and it was so big that a Carlton footy ground with a capacity of 22,000 overflowed. Fans were turned away in the lockout. Okay, so what's Richmond Footy Club's part in this puzzle? Well, we've got that the Tigers applied for one of the first AFLW club licences. The AFL offered eight, there were 13 applicants, and the Tigers had every reason to believe that they would get in from day one. Brendan Gale, Richmond CEO since late 2009, is holding the club's first written submission for an AFLW licence as he speaks
2: you you haven't seen this in a long time.
1: I'm not sure at this point whether putting this 40-page glossy application back in Brendan's hand is a good idea.
2: I think the thing we did learn, you know, you've got to play the backroom game. You've got to really lobby, lobby really hard, you've got to push, you've got to politic, you've got to influence. And we probably thought we were above that, to be honest. And that was a little bit, of maybe it was a hubris. We probably thought, you know, we're strong on this space. we've got a really strong record, and we deserve a licence.
0: Peggy's also got the Tigers original pitch in her hands. So we thought we're financially secure, we've shown our commitment to women, we have facilities right away and it seemed pretty complete to us.
1: Did it seem pretty compelling?
0: I was convinced. I just thought what we wrote was absolutely true and it was really good. (laughs) There's always the unforeseen, that you can't predict everything, but I thought that we were way more likely to get one than not. And Brendan again.
2: We had had a strong track record to point to, Mm -hmm. and I thought we were really well placed. I felt the strongest part of this pitch was having a female president. And it's something I didn't want to just exploit and Mm -hmm. take advantage of, but I just felt, gee, what a historic opportunity for us. She's the president of a football club. I guess the other one was Punt Road, I, I, you know, the all this money going to the sort of elite stadia and bring more football back to Punt Road, where it's visible. And I just thought, here's an opportunity for us to, we want to showcase our women's football. It's visible, it's accessible, it's highly affordable. With a lick of paint and a, you know, a bit of a renovation, it'd be fantastic. I guess all clubs that were bidding can point to a number of initiatives or things they're doing in that space, you know, and we can as well, but none could point to having a female president.
1: The night before the first licence winners were announced officially, Peggy found out informally that the Tigers had missed. And when the bad news for Richmond dropped, there was no way around it. It was an AFL decision, full stop. As club president, Peggy says it wasn't her position to seek explanation from the AFL. Both she and Brendan Gale are diplomatic on this, but clearly explanation was sought. Though from the sound of things, it didn't necessarily provide clarity.
2: You don't always get the full picture <laughs> from the AFL, Sam, and I'm still waiting answers for a lot of things, but <laughs> sometimes you just don't get them.
1: Brendan has his tongue in his cheek now, but the knockback to join AFLW happened not once but twice to Richmond, and it really stung. We'll get to that later, but it's fair to say that while eight, then ten AFL clubs across Australia were authorised to join AFLW before them, the Tigers have been stewing. Green with envy. Brendan Gale. footballs
2: it just consumes you. It just, it, you're just all in. You come and work at a footy club, you're all in. And you just live, eat, sleep, breathe football. And when you're not in, you're almost all out. Uh, Sam, look, I'm probably letting on too much here, but I've, I would have hardly watched a game. I watch the Grand Finals. Look, it's self-interest. I'll, I'll put my hand up.
1: Thanks, Brendan. Honesty is appreciated. Before we unpack more, let's jump back a touch. Actually, let's jump back a lot to the year 1923, to the earliest game the Tigers know of where women played in Richmond jumpers, some also wearing a most intriguing accessory.
3: It was Saturday, August the 18th, 1923 at 1.40 p.m.,
1: That's Rhett Bartlett, Richmond Football Club researcher, author of the Tigers' centenary history book and son of Richmond royalty, Kevin Bartlett. When it comes to detail, Rhett Bartlett is meticulous.
3: The game was played at the Punt Road Oval, or the Richmond Cricket Ground, as it was called, and it was between the Richmond Juniors, which is the Richmond men's reserve team, and a group of women footballers. The idea of the game was to raise money for the Richmond reserves team to have an interstate trip at the end of the year and one of the best ways to bring attention to that or to raise money for that was to have a carnival here at the Richmond Cricket Ground, the Punt Road Oval and there was a schoolboys match on beforehand, there were races and hurdle events and there was a horse race event after the game but the main attraction was the Richmond Reserves versus a women's team.
1: Did I mention intriguing accessory?
3: There's a slight catch the Richmond Juniors team wore fancy dress. The women's team, some of the ladies wore masks.
1: So is there any sense of deliberate political statement making in this match?
3: Part of it is a novelty, but the women took it quite seriously. The captain of the women's team, her name is Miss Aggie Holiday. And she said in the press just before the game, she said... She explained this morning that with her 17 colleagues, she claimed the right to play men's games because she did men's work. They worked at the Bryant and May factory on Church Street. And if you ever go down Church Street, there's a beautiful big red brick building. And at the Bryant and May factory, they made matchsticks, what we would now know as red head matchsticks. The opening line of the Herald the day before the game was, quote, making matches, not playing them is the customary pursuit of the tigresses. So the tigresses were the nickname that they gave themselves when playing this game. The tigresses, they won 9 to Richmond Reserves team, one behind. I don't have the exact crowd attendance but it looks to be about a couple of thousand people. But at the same time at the MCG, there was an interstate match being played and the VFL, were very unhappy that Richmond had organised a carnival at the exact same time as a men's interstate team at the MCG. They felt that it took crowds away from that game to here at Punt Road.
1: So what happened next? Clearly there was an appetite from some of the factory workers, the women, to play. Did they get another go?
3: It doesn't look as though they did until the 1940s.
1: The game Rhett's referencing there was played in 1933 during the Great Depression. It was a contest between Richmond and a genuine club rival, Carlton, and it raised funds for charity. There's incredible footage of this event that shows the stands of Carlton's Princess Park packed with spectators. Check it out, it's really something. Beyond this, after the Second World War, a round-robin women's competition was formed that involved established men's league clubs. And how about this? At a time when Jack Dyer, the ultimate Richmond icon, was Tiger's captain coach, he even umpired a women's match. North Melbourne and South Melbourne played in it, and records say 9,000 people attended. Decades pass before Captain Blood's club gets serious about forming and fielding a women's team. It's just the way it was. Everywhere. At Richmond, major internal shifting on this front can be traced to 2012-2013. It's when Peggy O'Neill elected Tigers president in 2013 and Brendan Gale led the engineering of very big things. Richmond was examining itself hard in the mirror. It's when a glaring gap that could be measured in membership
0: figures spoke of a greater gap, a disconnect with women. We started looking at membership and membership had started to, to grow. Uh, we had a pretty low base and we started thinking about well, let's analyze the demographics of our membership. And we had only had raw data because we couldn't get exact numbers from other clubs, and the AFL doesn't collect it that way. But in bands of, you know, four and five clubs banded together, uh, the information of the AFL is that we were in the bottom four. For women uh, being members, we thought, why don't, women want to be members. This is like a place that's rich for uh, developing membership. And one of the things we started looking at was what image do we project? And there was a certain pride in being the, the outlaw, rough and tough, you know, Richmond, relentless, and eat them alive. But that wasn't really who we were or where we thought we would be. in the And sort of the blue-collar club wasn't really what we were. And when we looked at collateral we put out, I said, well, if you were a woman, would you want to go to that function? I don't see any women there. And then? I remember um, talking about the value of women and equality and people would say, what's the business case for this? I became aware that there was a lot of research and a lot of papers out in the commercial world about the value of women in positions. But that it hadn't really infiltrated the sporting world. Um, but once I started sending some of these articles through, and I don't know, Mackenzie's did a big research thing, Harvard Lo- Business School done a lot of work, um, and it was sort of proving the business case. And I remember sending it through to Simon and to Brendan and the Simon Peggy mentions there is Simon
1: Matthews, Richmond's executive of marketing and communications,
0: and they just gobbled it up. It was just, oh, well, it's not just on the board. We should have women everywhere. Look at this. And, and so it, 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 they were great converts and in the way that once you're converted, you want to go ahead. So they were, um, they're smart and they got it. And they thought that this uh, is something we had uh, neglected. Simon came up with the idea of let's be part of a research project and find out why women don't Want to. So it started out about why wouldn't women want to join Richmond or be part of what we do, and it became a bigger thing of why don't we do some research and we can't do this on our own about women in sport, perceived or real reasons that they don't participate fully. While all this was going on, there was no such thing as a women's competition. We just wanted women to be involved with the club in a meaningful way and for everybody to feel like it was their club and that they were valued as members and as just people because we really wanted to reflect our community. Simon Matthews, the Tiger executive I mentioned
1: before, fills in the story a bit more, reflecting on the percentage of women in Richmond's total membership at the time.
4: It was 32% and we set ourselves a, a, a rather ambitious target of trying to get our database and our membership database to 50-50. Now that's long term, That that's that's still the ambition and I think you know there's data and there's data but I think it was really important to say say, you know what what do we stand for as a club what's our purpose as a football club and I think that that was really significant in in broadening our appeal.
1: Focusing on all of this sparked fresh purpose and action at Tigerland. Brendan Gale.
2: There was almost a conflation of, of forces that felt you know what we've sort of got to get under the hood of this and 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 better understand why, why is this the case, before we could set out and do something about it.
1: Richmond commissioned a gender report, eventually entitled, Gender Equity, What Will It Take to Be the Best? Led by an external consultant, Dr Pippa Grange, it was co-funded by the Australian Sports Commission and the AFL. And it's still worth a read.
2: What hit me between the eyeballs and what I found confronting was the extent of my own bias my own subconscious bias. Here I am thinking that I'm a, a regional, open-minded, progressive sort of person.
1: That's Brendan Gale again.
2: You know, I learned a hell of a lot because it it forced me to deal and to reckon with my own unconscious bias. I'm a 40-year-old white male that not only played AFL football, played at this club. To that extent, it was, you know, it was confronting uh, but extremely enlightening and I'm still not there yet.
1: Richmond also led the establishment of a Male Champions of Change group, chaired by the then Federal Sex Discrimination Commissioner, Elizabeth Broderick. The Tigers' partnership with the Alanna and Madeline Foundation and with Midsummer were also significant. Simon Matthews.
4: I think we, we realised that clearly this club needed to broaden its diversity and inclusion agenda.
1: To borrow a contemporary term, Richmond made a concerted effort to lean in. In March 2013, Peggy O'Neill hosted a focus group-style meeting in the Richmond boardroom. The women guests had diverse expertise and experiences of football. I was one in the mix, a young journalist back then, making my way in the jungle of footy. Shiloh Curtis was another invited to the table. She was working at AFL Victoria as female football development manager.
5: It was a really interesting meeting because they were like, clearly we're not appealing, mm. you know, mm. we're in, we're not appealing to women and girls because they're not becoming members for us. So, what do we need to do to become female friendly that women see us as a place that reflects who they are? And you know, what event can we run? And I just went, well, guys, it's not an event. It's everything you do. It's the footy department. It's it's every. Every facet of the footy club needs to reflect the needs of women and girls and everyone else in the community. It was the first time a footy club had ever approached me and said, please tell us how to do women and girls better. Even now, even though AFLW is up and running, I still think there are so many clubs that think like this. We know how to do football.
1: We know how to do women and girls in football as a result. And we don't need to consult. Every bit as relevant was her playing and personal experience of footy. Shiloh was consulted by several AFL clubs preparing their bids for AFLW club licences, including Richmond, but long before that, she'd been a Tigers supporter. She played in the old Victorian Women's State League for 13 years, was a premiership captain for Melbourne University and a seven-time All-Australian, but she also drifted into that category that modern-day Richmond realised it had effectively lost. Shiloh Curtis was a prime example of a woman who became more interested in playing footy than following a club that wasn't showing her signs that it supported her playing pursuits.
5: You know, tough Captain Blood type of stuff and I don't know, you know, it's really blokey and really manly and masculine and is there a place for women in that? That doesn't really speak to a lot of women and I was a footballer, I was a, you know, a good footballer but it didn't really speak to me. Richmond Footy Club helped my dad integrate into Australia after he emigrated from Turkey and footy was a place that made him feel more Australian when he when he came here and he could talk footy so he's kind of stopped getting beaten up (laughs) um, at school but it was you know it almost catered more to my dad than it did to me. Did you ever dream that you might be able to play for Richmond? Well that dream was knocked on its head when I was five years old when you you know you realise one that you're really good at footy And two, that you're never going to get to play the game professionally simply because you're female. That that dream was gone when I was five. It was very clear. And that was, there was a lot of grief in that. And my five-year-old self, you know, a bit emotional thinking about it now, but that five-year-old self, you know, she, you know, she has a whole bunch of unfulfilled dreams and hopes and aspirations. And she'll never know what she could have been because the world had that door firmly closed for her.
1: Shiloh puts the transformational work that Richmond began undertaking in 2012 and 2013 in broader context. It was a real watershed year for Richmond Footy
5: Club 2013. It's also the same time that the Victorian under-18 Metro Youth Girls team migrated from up at Craigieburn, Cold Cannons, um, into the Richmond Footy Club to be the host here, or be hosted here. They were the first club who really identified, I think, that how we engage with women and girls is a whole of club approach, footy ops, membership, commercial, everything, how we run our footy club
1: needs to take into account the needs of women and girls. Around Richmond's increasingly visible gender-related work, there was something happening in the background that few people know about to this day. It's a sliding door story that could have changed the face and shape of AFLW as we know it, As it stands, Melbourne and the Western Bulldogs football clubs are heralded as the pioneers when it comes to women's footy, and rightly so. They were essentially the test clubs who invested and played in a series of exhibition matches years before AFLW was launched. The Dogs and Dees gained immediate entry to AFLW because of this, and an AFLW without them from the get-go was unthinkable. But a women's match that was never played might have altered the course of that history dramatically. Because while Melbourne and the Bulldogs were planning their landmark women's exhibition match in 2013, Richmond and St Kilda were effectively planning the same thing. And it wasn't just an idea, it was firmly in the works, with AFL involvement. Shiloh Curtis attended meetings about it, and as emails that show the high level of planning Richmond and St Kilda reached, before ultimately being gazumped. A match that never happened.
5: In 2013 I was approached by Kane Little and the Richmond Footy Club hand in hand with St Kilda Footy Club and Lisa Lang over there and and they approached um, Jan Cooper who was the national female manager at the AFL and myself and said how do we get the best female footballers in Australia on the MCG in a curtain raiser between Richmond and St Kilda and that was the first time a club had ever, had ever spoken about doing that ever. We had about three meetings at AFL Victoria between, it was Richmond Footy Club, um, St Kilda and myself at AFL Victoria and the aim, we were looking at how we could make it work and the challenge was the VWFL fixture was already set and the weekend that they had it was, I think it was round 14 in, in 2013, they, had a, they, they wanted to have a curtain raiser that game um, between their two clubs at the G. And the challenge was that it was also a fixtured VWFL weekend, so we weren't really going to be able to disrupt that. What the idea was, was we were going to get the best under-18 footballers. So the girls in the in the High Performance Academy, the Calder Cannons and the Sandringham Dragons and, and the Ballarat Rebels, those they were the three academies we had at the time, and we were going to put those kids into Richmond Colours and, and St Kilda Colours. And that was going to be um, a curtain raiser um, between, you know, the first official game between female footballers that were representing the Richmond Footy Club and the St Kilda Footy Club. And Um, you had three meetings. We had three meetings about that at at, at AFL Victoria and we are all really excited about it. Jan Cooper had mapped out a whole game development series of activations and there were Oz Kickers and she'd made sure that the female Level 2 coaches were going to be part of the coaching teams and, you know, we were talking about a draft and everyone was super excited about it. And the issue was was that the AFL had promised um, the ADF a game on the long weekend in June, on the Queen's birthday weekend, and Melbourne also wanted to have a curtain-raiser game over that weekend, but the MCG said, no, we can't have two curtain-raisers on that weekend. So the AFL then gave Melbourne a curtain-raiser on round 14 at the MCG. That match had been promised to the Melbourne Footy Club 12 months prior, unbeknownst to Richmond and St Kilda, And so when the application went into the MCC to host, uh, for Richmond to host that curtain raiser, the MCC said, well, we can only have one curtain raiser a weekend because we are the ground and the grass. But they said, you can't, yeah, we can't have two curtain raisers. And because Melbourne had been promised a curtain raiser 12 months earlier, Melbourne um, got the opportunity and and Melbourne and Western Bulldogs happened. Daisy Pearce was the number one draft pick and the rest is history.
1: You've got some, I think, some correspondence from the time.
5: Is there any you could
1: just dig out and, yeah, sure. and share with us? Yeah, um,
5: sure. So, in true Janisms, she'd she'd mapped out a whole series of game development activations. You know, She's can we work together to value add to the game during the week preceding the round? For example, have level two female coaches on the bench during the AFL game to observe coaching staff, etc. Have a Richmond coach take a training session of the Richmond Football Club team during the week, perhaps, at the Richmond Footy Club. Have all girls' Oz kick grids at MCG at halftime. The Boundary Rider MC interview interviews a coach and players from the Richmond Football Club women's team at halftime of the game. Show a few highlights of the Curtain raiser game on the scoreboard at halftime of the men's game. Um, and Kane came back and said, love all those ideas. Um, yeah, let's, let's make it work. Let's put the application in. And um, none of it happened. What I was really bored by was a level of disappointment and anger within the Richmond Football Club ranks that they never got to bring that to life. And it wasn't like they went, oh, well, we tried that. Let's move on to what we've always done. You know, they went, "Okay, well, that didn't work. Let's try something else. And they continued to really build up their credentials and their experiences in the female footy space.
1: Led by a one and only woman president and with the work Richmond was doing, gender report, male champions of change, women's games on the MCG it's little wonder the club felt well-credentialed for a launch AFLW licence. Simon Matthews co-authored the Tigers' first application with Amanda Green, who at the time was Richmond's executive of People and Culture.
4: We thought it was really compelling. So when we looked at the things that we'd done as a club that really pointed to an authentic commitment for gender equity, we thought we had a really good story to tell. And I guess in our mind we felt that that needed to be the foundation piece for the establishment of any football team, we hope that was our point of difference. Ultimately, it wasn't in the minds of the AFL, um, but that was that was probably the, the key piece for us. None of this is a criticism of the AFL either. I think it's fair to say that you know they had to make a difficult decision. You know it all happened very quickly, and you know Melbourne and 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 the Bulldogs were clearly standouts. They'd done some terrific work, and, and you know thoroughly deserved to be there. And then there were different decisions they had to make beyond that.
1: The AFL announced formally on June 15, 2016 that eight AFL clubs would launch AFLW. Adelaide, Brisbane, Carlton, Collingwood, Fremantle, Greater Western Sydney, Melbourne and the Western Bulldogs. Remember Peggy O'Neill's reflection.
0: I was angry. I was. Only because I thought it was unjustified.
1: This is how Brendan Gale recalls feeling at the time.
0: I felt for Peggy. I just thought it was... a.
2: You know, I don't think I've ever told her, but I I felt I just thought it was such a historic moment. Would have been great for her to have a women's team, the establishment competition, as the as the first female president. It makes you question the work you do, you know. But we don't do what we do just to get a team of the women. We do it for a whole range of reasons. But you know, you get thick skin, Sam. You get that many kicks in the backside and this caper, you know many many more than the set of high points so you've just got to move on pretty quickly you've got to try and well what is it what is it about our submission that wasn't compelling what are we going to do about it
1: the surprise extended beyond the richmond bubble you'll remember that shiloh curtis assisted several afl clubs with their aflw applications so she has strong reference points
5: they had a really strong case around genuine and long term investment into the women's game. It was probably unparalleled, with the exception of North Melbourne. I think those two clubs, Richmond and North Melbourne, were the absolute front runners in my mind around genuine long term investment and authentic commitment to growing female football.
1: And here's ABC broadcaster Emma Race
5: AFLW for me and women's football as a whole is about the feels. I don't think there is a club who does the feels better than Richmond and I almost feel like you can't have a party without a bunch of
1: Richmond supporters there. (laughs) But it didn't matter what anyone thought, really. AFLW was starting and it was starting without Richmond. From that moment, the Tigers had a new challenge, how to respond. So what did they do next? Who did they hire? And how did that lead to some major renovations of toilets at Richmond HQ? What tactics did Richmond use to recruit some seriously big fish? That's in episode two of the originals. Hope you enjoyed the debut. Sign off, Brendan Gale.
2: If you like what you hear, share it with your friends, family, footy fans, even someone who thinks they don't like footy.
1: And final word? or maybe two. Peggy O'Neill.
0: Go Tigers.